Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey there, welcome to ATL and 29 of Peachtree Hoops podcast, where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. This isn't really the NBA. This is the NBA Summer League. Uh, the Hawks just concluded with a 2-3 and three record, uh, kind of a humdinger with, uh, without a few of the familiar names. And I know Glenn is chomping at the bit to share his thoughts on some of the non-roster Hawks that participated in Summer League. <laughs> So let's start there, Glenn. Uh, okay. if, if, if you want to take a shot, I actually think that our short lists, uh, and mine is very short, uh, are probably pretty similar, uh, if I can guess, based on your tweets. But take it away. Who, who did you like? Well, I mean, it's no secret that I enjoyed uh, Delana Cooper-Sell for a while. I, I don't want to spend too much time on it because it – it reflects sort of the, the way I watch a basketball, which I think is pretty abnormal. Um, but, you know, I, I watched him live for three, at least three straight summer leagues. And, you know, when you have the opportunity, like I've been fortunate to have to go, you know, consecutive years like that, three or four years in a row disrupted by COVID, um, you know, you, some guys will catch your eye, you know, especially if you have, I think, especially if you have a coaching background like me, you, got, you know, you'll just see something that kind of catches your eye. And with the Cooper Cell year one, it was really rough. Um, but like once he recognized what he was supposed to do, it was always like a second or two late that first year. <laughs> um, he was like pretty impressive, like kind of getting into doing the thing that he was supposed to do. And then every year he just got the timing got better, the recognition got better. And then his, you could tell, like, when he's playing in Europe, his skill set was getting developed. He became, you know, a, a not terrible ball handler in year two and started making some shots in year two. And then year three, the ball handling was just a little bit better. And then you saw some, really some defensive prowess start to kind of show up in, in his skill set. So, you know, there, there, there is, a, like, a list of 20, probably 25 guys. He's probably top five on my list of guys that I went out of my way to watch year after year just to – have the rewarding experience of kind of watching that growth and, and seeing that development. And the, here's a guy who has never had any assurance of having an opportunity to kind of be in the league in a real way, uh, but just kind of really working the craft, working hard, um, you know, mentally, decision-making skill set, everything. And I thought this year, you know, he's 28 years old, so we can, you know, set aside maybe what it actually means for him in terms of, you know, whether he might be, you know, a friend NBA player or not, but there's for me, and it might be just me, there's something really rewarding about having an opportunity to kind of see a guy, and he's not the only one, but, you know, take steps like he's taken across, you know, four years uh, or more kind of as he's been kind of trying to kind of get a foot in the door in the league. And now, I mean, if you watch them this week, 
he's a he's a good professional player. And I mean, I, I don't know what league is the right fit for him where he can maximize his earning potential. You know, I think he could help an NBA team, you know, as a, what, 13, 14, 15 kind of, right? You know, depending on what kind of team, you know, right. and things like that. But he wouldn't be out of place, in my mind, in the league. It's just a matter of whether a team would want to invest a 13th or 14th roster spot, if that's what it is, on a guy who's 28, as opposed to a guy who's 21. But I've just so enjoyed watching him and was so thrilled to see that he was playing with the Hawks this year. And um and and their non-Jalen non-Sharif minutes and things like that you know they wouldn't have played five competitive basketball games <laughs> you know for sure if it, if it if it were for him so that, that's that's kind of my spiel I don't I don't know if any Hawks fan knew much about him before this summer league Kevin I don't I, I know that not many people were probably even aware of who this guy was he, right. did, he just happened to be one that caught my eye in my years of going but um, so maybe with your fresh eyes, what did you see, uh, you know, from him in, in, in these five games of play? Yeah, just really steady. I mean, that's the, the sort of player that I think that you wanted around some of the young pieces. Uh, while he was out there tonight with Sharif Cooper, you know, a lot of the other guys weren't. And you could tell that between that and the increased – Nick's ball pressure that it was a, you know, kind of a frustrating night for Cooper just, uh, but, but it was interesting, you know, it was interesting to see him face that ball pressure, but he just didn't have, uh, you know, the same arrows in the quiver that he had in the other four games. So uh, while Purcell was out there, he, you know, you need, you know, it, you take a step back at a couple of positions and you just kind of see it across the board and, you know, clearly when Purcell was out there with the Hawks' best players this week, uh, you know, they didn't miss a beat having him out there. He's, you know, just a prototypical small forward. You know, he, he can cut, he can shoot. He's making smart decisions on defense. I mean, it's just kind of all the things you want. I mean, he's, he's got good size and athleticism, uh, you know, an intriguing player. And, you know, if he were younger, you know, he'd, he'd be really – impressive uh i hope the hawks bring him to camp in their 20 if if he's available for that time frame but you know i don't know <laughs> yeah and i i you'd have to think they'd love to with the experience yeah. that they had here but he's probably gonna um, have you know some offers to go get started sooner maybe for sure his earning potential has been for a number of years now over in europe but he, he's but he's even there he's a player who's had to move every year to kind of move up his right. earning potential, you know, and who, who's to say if he's kind of tired of that and wants to take one last shot at trying to see if he can kind of work his way into one year of, you know, one whole year of being on a NBA contract, who, who knows what he wants. But, you know, from, from the team perspective, you know, he seems like a guy who you'd love to have in your 20 and, and, and bring in. And then, you know, um, who knows what happens after that if, if, if I, you know, we have no idea, like, for example, if Cam Reddish trade is going to happen and, you know, what would that look like? And would that mean that they'd love to have one more, like, 28-year-old guy, you know, on the wing to, you know, kind of just give you a body of practice and uh, provide you maybe uh, here and there not completely embarrassing minutes and things like that. That'd be awesomely exciting for him, for Cooper Cell, for sure, to kind of have that experience. And I'm uh, probably not surprised when I'm rooting for him. Um, you know, but we'll we'll see. I mean, the, the our, a lot of this, I think, too, comes down in the next month 
or six weeks in terms of as travel start to get impacted again by kind of where, you know, um, the kind of the epidemic is, you know, which way it kind of goes you know, globally and regionally and things like that. It, it's not, it doesn't seem, hopefully, knock on wood, it's going to be quite disruptive as like it was a year ago since the vaccines are available in a lot of places. But it, I mean, it, it, it's hard to know, <laughs> you know, how, how that's going to impact yeah. the guys like him who may be thinking of going to Turkey to, you know, to play for a year or right. to, Maybe he can get into, you know, you know, one of the higher Israel or Turkey are kind of, yeah. you know, the, that next level typically uh, behind Spain and France, um, unless you want to get paid in China or Russia, you know. Well, uh, you which, know, that's the thing that jobs may be harder to come by in certain places because there's some serious talent playing in China uh, as yeah. as imports and they may not have imports this season. So, yeah. Uh, Right, and then things and, and change made, quickly. <laughs> yeah, and and that and because of just that part of the world, like the Australian league may be the best it's ever been this year because yeah, no one's playing in China for you know you know for example. So it's going to be interesting to I don't, I don't know how interesting it is to Hawks fans, but you no. know, he's he, he's a, he's an opportunity for Hawks fans if they flash on him a bit to kind of use him as a case study to see how all of this works. You know, kind of follow his decision making, follow his opportunities. Uh, and, and things like that. But I, I'm just so happy for him that, you know, I just remember sitting in Cox Pavilion four or five years ago and watching this guy get thrown out at the tail end of the first, uh, he's playing for Denver that year, um, and just kind of looked like a, you know, a fish out of water <laughs> for the first four or five or six possessions. But then you could see something and like, oh, once he knows what he's supposed to do, he's like, he's got this quickness and this kind of, you know, ability to kind of jump into that pretty quickly. And now, the game's not too fast for him. He can handle, you know, pretty well. He can shoot the ball reliably. He kind of has the whole game, you know. Um, probably too late for him to, you know, do a ton of that in terms of any NBA or NBA earning potential. But I, that's why I, that's why I go every year is just how much fun I have watching guys like him work the craft um, when you know they're not ever looking at like a hundred million dollar payday or anything like that. It's just, it's just. It, Maybe, like I said, it might just be me. It might be the only person in the whole world, but I love that stuff. <laughs> okay, you, you, you've already gotten through half my list. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who's on your list. Uh, and, any, anybody else who deserves a shout-out here? Well, I, I think um, Schofield, Admiral Schofield, helped himself. Um, I, I, he, he has some obvious limitations on defense just because of his lack of height and length. Yep. Um, but he was tremendous at organizing them. I thought there's that oftentimes, not tonight, but oftentimes their steadiest play on defense came when he was on the court. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he shot the ball pretty well. I, I mean, I yeah. don't have his stats right in front of me, but it just, whether it was 30% or 40% or something else, it just looked good. He was confident. He wasn't hesitant at all. And when you have guys who are in your scheme kind of spacing the floor, you want no hesitation. You want them to kind of shoot the ball and that's what the defense kind of gives it up. So I thought he was impactful uh, on defense, even if he'll probably always be um, a limited rim protector, somewhat of a limited rebounder. Um, good team defender showed that this week and, and, and showed, I think, a good bit on offense. And move the, I mean, just whip the ball. When, when he got the ball, if it was a pass, it was a pass. If it was a shot, if it was a shot. He was a quick decision maker. He knew yep. where to be and move the ball. And so you know, I, I think if I have to pick another non-roster guy that I would love to see in that, you know, on that 20-man roster and potentially, you know, 
playing for, you know, on a, get an exhibit 10, you know, clause based contract and kind of play college park. I, I'd, I'd love to see that because I, I just thought he really acquitted himself well. And I thought he did a lot of what Matt Hill and the staff, you know, kind of asked guys in his position to do. So I, w- I was impressed. What, what were your thoughts about him? Yeah. Um, that's pretty, pretty, pretty close to what I was thinking. I mean, he's obviously, you know, you mentioned the height thing and clearly that's true, but you know, at the same time, when you, when you pair that with quick decision-making and then just obvious physical strength, um, you know, that, that, that's a good combination because he can just kind of hold people at bay at times. He's not going to get pushed around at all. Uh, and in fact, you know, when, in that respect, you know, being, being shorter and having a lower point of leverage actually, I think, helps him. Um, you know, it's really tough to move him down low. Uh, you know, when he's guarding somebody, he holds his position really well. So um, I, I would concur with everything you said. Um, I, even though he's not obviously a rim protector, I still think that, you know, he's a, a really good defensive player that I think there's a lot of promise there that it's, it's not going to be above the rim, but when you make good decisions and uh, you know, just use body positioning, you know, you, you can do a lot of things, uh, you know, in a, in a lot of ways he reminds me sort of defensively of, you know, somebody like Urson, uh, you know, just kind of make the right decisions, get in the way, be strong, don't get moved. And I don't know how much of a future there is for somebody like that in the NBA, but he, he's close. Uh, you know, you looked at, you know, the, I think the bigger names coming into the summer league were Jordan Bell and Eric Moreland and, you know, <laughs> they were rough. Schofield, Schofield was a couple of laps ahead of them. For sure. Uh, so maybe it's yeah. by comparison that he stood out. I don't know, but yeah, I, I enjoyed watching him this week and uh, you know, if, if, he wants to go with the G League, right? I, I think he'll at least get to the G League, and you know, I think he could get pretty close to to the fringe of the roster uh, if he keeps playing the way he is. Yeah, agreed. I, I thought um, you know the, the other thing that kind of nerd out a little bit was it may not have looked like it um, unless you watch basketball a certain way. And when I say that, I'm not putting that above anyone else. I'm just saying I have my way of watching that's rooted in my coaching background, but in the second half tonight, the Hawks, no name, kind of the John Durham and, you know, uh, you know I think um, who else, A.J. Lawson was out. They, there were some awesome just defensive execution. And for a stretch, like the Knicks made a couple of improbable kind of three-pointers and, or, you know, and there was a breakdown here and there. And, the Knicks, and it was funny because it was when the Knicks were pulling away that I was like really <laughs> loving watching score. the Hawks defense. Because <laughs> they you couldn't know, score. They could, you're exactly right. They couldn't score at all. And that turned into, you know, a couple of transition buckets and things like that that gave the lead. But, I mean, here I was, you know, the Hawks went from being like down four or six to like 14 or 16. And I was like, oh, my God, they're playing awesome half-court defense. I'm really enjoying watching this. And none of these guys are going to play in the league ever, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But, well, that's but the thing. That, yeah. You know, I found it liberating. It's like – when we, you know, at the start of the game, Shreve Cooper's in and it's like, it's, it's kind of freeing to just, you know, focus on one player. I mean, I was on my, my, 
When he was in the game, I really, you know, I was, I kind of knew where the other chess pieces were, so to speak, but I just wanted to see him like, and it's, it's kind of fun to watch a basketball that game, uh, watch a basketball game that way. Cause you, you really, it's, uh, I don't know. My attention span isn't that great, but, uh, and it seems to get worse, gets worse with age, but, uh, uh, it was, you know, very convenient in terms of, I, I had no choice but to focus because I didn't really want to look at a whole lot else. And, and I think the Knicks actually helped that too. You know, like I mentioned before, they were so aggressive in the pick and roll defense. Like they're, they're, you know, they're bracketing them coming off the pick and roll and they're, you know, the other three people are like closing in too. It was like, it was like a zombie movie where just everybody follows you. (laughs) And uh, it was kind of fun to watch how he dealt with that. Yeah, yeah. The, the I don't I don't I don't want to be quick, but you know that defensive execution in the second half, even when Akeem Purcell was off, and and Sharif wasn't playing at that point, and Jalen didn't play this game. It, to me, that's an example of that's what it looks like when a group of guys who've been in the league or in you know Europe for two years or three years and just are super professionalized. They know how to communicate, stay connected, and I mean. A casual fan might look at that group and go, "Why would I watch them? None of those guys are ever going to play in the league." Or, or it's, it's incredibly unlikely that any of those guys are playing the league. I watched that. And I think that is so cool to see what the kind of the broader ecosystem of the sport of professional, you know, of professional basketball does to these guys who get in it and learn how to kind of do the basic things they have to do to get any opportunities anywhere. And you know, and they didn't, you know, when Jalen was in, as good as he was blocking shots, and you know, it was flashing all the way across from you know the perimeter to the on the weak side, all the way to the strong side, making impact on the play. And that's the stuff that really does matter. I don't want to talk about it like that's not. That's the stuff that matters the most is mm-hmm. is what he does. But there's something to me satisfying about watching a group of guys who work their butt off like 12 months a year trying to get good enough at the the little areas because they don't have a towering strength like Jalen Johnson does to kind of go out to court and opportunity. The last game of summer league for the Hawks, nobody cares. They're not playing for the championship. Everybody wants to go home and here's this five, you know, no name guys out there executing flawless team defense, the results aside. Um, and, to me, that's I, it. Just excites me, and that's. That, that's <laughs> I mean, it's not I like to... they were playing against Scrubs either. I mean, the... <laughs> no. The that, that's, got, that's why the I Knicks go... got top in out there. They but got it what... quickly out there in the fourth quarter of the right. summer league game. I mean, you know, yeah. And, and, and Grimes is pretty advanced for a rookie. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And know. Wayne Selton. Right. Wayne right. Selton had his moment there at the end. He sure did. But, but I, like, that's why I go to Vegas every year. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not networking. I'm not gambling. I'm literally like first game to last game watching and, and, and taking guys like who, like four years ago, whatever, who is this guy that turns into Devon and Pin Purcell? You know, that's me. And, and I, but I know it's probably just me. <laughs> All right. You know, so, I, so, so let's backtrack. Cause I think that's a good segue because, you know, you mentioned that defensive execution and you mentioned Jalen Johnson you know, it's been a week since we recorded. We had some summer league game pass, and, and Jalen Johnson was really good, uh, I thought, you know, throughout the course of the entire week, except for the second half of the game against the Sixers. So, you know, he was in there against Paul Reed, who's an absolute stud. Uh, 
what did he struggle with in that second half? Is there anything in there, you know, aside from maybe like conditioning that, that that's sort of a concern? Because it looked like, you know, defensively he, it you know, he's, he was behind, but he was way more behind than he was in, in any of the previous halves. Well, to me, that said a lot about Paul Reed. Um, <laughs> well, Reed for sure. For yeah. sure. <laughs> and not only is, is Reed uh, like a surprisingly good athlete and basketball player for kind of where he was drafted. And he did the, I mean, I think last year he was the G League rookie of the year and the MVP, but I'll be honest, Kevin, I don't know how many teams played. Was it four or was it like set 18? I have no idea. You know, so I don't know. Oh, how press, yeah, that's yeah, a good question. Yeah. So, but it's still, I mean, he was considered as a rookie, the best player in that league, you know, last year pretty easily. Um, yeah. And if, if you watch him play, he has so much craft down. Like he shocked me. And so like, just like footwork, like beating, a, beating Jalen to a spot in the post or and and kind of you know, dropping his right leg and kind of getting already started into kind of his move and he was just a step ahead and that was that's experience and that's you know um the difference between a guy who really did a ton of work last year um at a developmental level and Jalen being just super raw and you know how, how many games has he played since like his junior the end of a junior high school like I don't think it's been a ton and so to me that that said more about Paul Reed I, sure. I don't think it, any of us should be surprised that you know Jalen had a stretch where he looked kind of rough but I mean, Paul Reed's a real player. I mean, he, yeah. he's a real he's a real player, and he's ready, you know, right now to help an NBA team in a real role. Yeah, he's ready not, to be in a rotation. Yeah, and, and it's not just his quickness and his athleticism, which are great, but mm-hmm. he has a ton of craft at both ends of the court, and he just really knows what he's doing. And he used all of his technique, um, precision, and all of his craft, uh, you know. And I think he – uh, you know, when I watched him, no doubt he put it, hit himself on, you know, in, in fourth year because uh, he was going up against Jalen Johnson. Everybody was talking about Jalen Johnson, you know. So he, he brought his best um, in, in that game. And that, that's going to happen when you're getting a lot of kind of attention. So not only was is Paul Reed good, really good and ready and impactful on both ends and athletic and skillful, he brought his best effort, I think, of the whole week against Jalen Johnson because of, I don't know, because the Hawks beat the Sixers, maybe, because Jalen was getting a lot of shine, maybe, all of the above, you know, who knows. But that that's what happened from where I was sitting. I have a, I have a bone of contention with just the universe. Okay. Paul Reed's nickname is B-Ball Paul. How, 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 how? in all of the years that Paul Millsap was here and he was making like four straight all-star games and everybody got mad at, Oh, Paul Millsap's in the all-star game. He's boring. Like <laughs> Paul Millsap needed a nickname. And that would have been like the perfect nickname for, you know, just perfectly vanilla. You know, he just does his thing. You just plug, put plug and play. He goes out there and he's B-ball Paul. How do we miss that nickname for Paul Millsap? Yeah, well, I, I'm not a nickname generator. For the most part, I have my, I may have my moments now and then, but that's pretty good. Do you know, do you have any idea like the background of like where that came from? No or, idea. I'm going to, you may have to do my research and find out. I'm just so yeah. disappointed. I just feel we like that six was a weeks, missed Kevin, opportunity. We got six weeks with nothing else to do. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, but hey, Fox fans, keep an eye on Paul Reed. He, he is a player. And uh, especially since he plays for the Sixers and, 
you think there's some chance the Hawks and Sixers games might have a lot of meaning regular season and maybe in the postseason. And he, you know, he's got to he's got to keep an eye on for sure. All right. Um, thoughts on where Skylar Mays is? Uh, you know, I guess if it, if people miss the news for why he didn't play, it wasn't just the typical uh, experienced player shutdown at the end of summer league. He's in the concussion protocol after, you know, taking some, some lumps. I think specifically he fell and kind of whiplashed his head into the hardwood at the end of game four of the summer league. But, you know, apart from that, uh, you know, the Hawks have tendered him a two-way contract reportedly. Uh, how do you think that this is going to shake down and, and what did you see from him in summer league? Yeah, he's a really interesting case. I mean, he I thought he was great, you know, basically every game. I mean, um, uh, you know, the – when they lost game one on the sideline inbounds, you know, you know, you know guys playing together for the first time, expecting a guy to cut one way, cuts another. That happens. You know, I'm not going to – it affected a, kind of the outcome of the game, but that's not really what I was watching, but – you know, his ability to knock down shots off the dribble, create, work on the ball, off the ball offensively, um, his ability to kind of get into the middle of the defense with um, his ball handling, uh, his really weird ability to kind of finish around, well, I don't want to say at the rim, but around the rim. He takes like the like, longest layups. Like yeah. like he, a layup he, is like an eight-foot shot, like from his hand to where the rim is, like no matter what it, layup he takes. And it's it's really remarkable how he does it. Like, there's just, you know, he's mastered the English, the angles. He's a great, like, reverse layup kind of maker, but he's got yeah. fingers. You know, he, how he makes his read and figures out which one of these shots he can get off and barely get off and kind of pick the right one every time is kind of remarkable. Right. Yeah, and – um, and it's funny because like every time I watch him do that, I'm like, he should play for the Raptors because the only guards I can remember doing something like that are Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet, <laughs> who are, you know, kind of right. similar build, yeah, right? Yeah. And and not like burst the athlete. So kind of similar, you know, profile in that way too. But, you know, I, I think he deserves a real opportunity um, in the league it's because he's so not because of a lot of the things necessarily we saw this week, and we could talk about that, but just because he's so trustworthy. He, you know, he, he's a sound decision maker. He reads the game. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's supposed to do. You know, he doesn't – when he's on the floor with other players, that means that he shouldn't possess the ball. He doesn't possess the ball, you know, when he's not supposed to. And when he's on the floor with players who the other four – you know, there's not quite enough ball handling there. He steps up and owns the ball handling. He knows how to kind of jump in and kind of do some of the things, the not so kind of, you know, glorifying things um, that just help his team. But when, like, if you watched him this week and you think, oh, he's getting downhill near the rim and finishing, you know, I asked the question, is he ever going to get to do that? in a rotation on the NBA team to be the guy with the ball in the middle of the floor, initiating the pick and roll, getting downhill. Is that his path to getting real playing time in the league? And I would say that's not impossible, but unlikely. There's just so many elite creators at six, four, six, five, six, six in the league um, that that just, that's not his most probable path to playing. But so to me, it's more of that plug, plug him into any lineup and he can find things to do 
whether it's ball handling, passing, spacing the floor, being a smart, you know, team defender and things like that. So that's kind of where it all comes from. But if he were just those off-ball kind of glue guy stuff, he wouldn't stand out. But he's one of those guys who can, if you need him, initiate a possession on offense, who can make a shot off the dribble, you know. But, and that, and so that, that subset of things that we saw him do is probably not where his primary value is going to come, but it's that additive value that makes him different from a whole lot of other guys who are right now kind of viewed in his class of player if that makes any sense. So that makes him a, a really interesting kind of kind of case for me too. Um, similar to what I think of Brandon Goodwin, Skyler probably needs to play on a team that's not trying to win a ton of games this year and who needs just a good, trustworthy, you know, he's almost 24 years old. He'll be 24 before the season starts. A guy who's, you can throw out there and he's just going to kind of get everybody organized to kind of and, and do some competent stuff. Um, and then maybe he'll have an opportunity to kind of show more of what he has. But that's kind of how I see him as a player. Um, but you and I have vastly different views on Brandon Goodwin, so I'm curious if, if you see Skyler as being, like, a lot more than I see or the same or or something in between. No, that's right. I mean, I think we, we saw it this week even, like, you know, that my, I think my biggest takeaways were from, from him, you know, aside from just the shot making near the rim. I mean, obviously his, his jump shot looks good too, but, yeah. you know, just, he's just, you know, you can, you can have him do whatever it was that was needed. You know, if, if it was time for Sharif Cooper to get some, some reps as the primary ball handler and, you know, give him the reins on offense, you know, Mays was a perfectly good complimentary player off the ball, uh, you know, if you needed a point guard when Cooper went to the bench or in the game that he was out, he's primary ball handler. Like, I, I think he has real value as, as a, you know, as a secondary creator. I mean, he's, he's just so solid. Um, I, I just, you know, it's just not a lot of flaws in his game, uh, especially on offense. You know, he's just, He's so steady. Like he just doesn't make mistakes, and you know, he just has that knack for for finishing. He's he's a he's a tough shot maker around the rim, and you know a good shooter and a good decision maker in everything else. And yeah, I think this week we saw him even you know pushing the range on his jump shot. I think he you know he's testing out some of the. <laughs> Honestly, you saw it across the league. It's it's you know I was kind of if you if you compare to summer league game from this season from a summer league game from say seven years ago you know the number of 27 28 foot shots that went up it's like you know the the people didn't you know obviously trey takes a ton of those now but you know to see it from summer league guys and and they're really good it's it's changing the way the game is played and and i you know we saw a lot of those from Mays. you know he's he's three four five feet behind the line and he's like well if you're not going to guard me here I'm going to take this shot and, and he can make it. Um, so you, you put that all together and that's just a really nice offensive player. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the key will be for him in terms of like getting a real opportunity will be on, I think on defense for sure. Um, just cause he, he doesn't have the size to offer positional versatility. And then you're not, I, I'm not quite sure yet. I don't like what he is as an on ball point of attack defender. I think he's smart and resourceful, uh, but you know, you put him in on the court uh, in a game where you know one of your either your starting point guard is hurt for what you know or what have you, and he's 
trying to go deal with Chris Paul or trying to go deal with, you know, Russell Westbrook, who wants to kind of just, you know, beat him up, you know, is how does, how does that work for him is, you know, but I don't, I kind of don't play. And, and the Hawks, you know, they have other options too. Right, I mean, right. they're, they're a team, yeah. you know, they're, they're well used to, you know, if he's the primary ball handler, they're used to, you know, trying to get away with him off the ball. I don't right. think it would be any stretch uh, for, for him to kind of fall into that role. Right. Yeah, I was just thinking more of his – I think clearly Skyler wants a real contract, and I don't know if the Hawks right. have that for him. Um, and, yep. like, let's say, for example, he played for, um, you know, say Minnesota this year, you know, who had, you know, a really small backup point guard last year, um, McLaughlin. And let's, let's say the opportunity opened up. But, you know, what he would look like in a, in a random – opportunity where he's playing on a developing team where he can get real minutes. A, a lot of what he looks like potentially is like a two-year player, three-year player going forward comes down to how much, you know, defensive um, kind of responsibility he can handle and where he doesn't have to be off ball, where he can be on ball against, you know, a third of the guards in the league or a half of the guards in the league or whatever that is. That's the, that's the part to figure out in terms of what his real kind of prospects are in the league for me. But yeah, I don't. He's one of those guys that don't put anything past him because, like, he's just so smart and resourceful and trustworthy, and you know, it makes all the right reads and stuff. And, and coaches tend to, you know, want those kinds of guys in their 11, 12, 13 spot on their rosters. Like, okay, if I have to throw you out for 25 minutes in an important game, you're just not going to screw up that many times. You know, I don't need you to go score 20 points, and I don't need you to like run our offense for you know 10 minutes or whatever. Just go out there and pitch in <laughs> and, yeah. and be a you know, be a solid link in the chain you know that kind of thing and, and the, to me that's what he that's what he has but like I said a few minutes ago he has a little bit more in that off the dribble shooting and that you know the way he starts stop start stops as he attacks the middle of the defense and opens up shots for other people there's enough there that he starts to stand out you know a little bit and that that's what makes him interesting to me and you know I Frankly, you know, unless something weird happens, I hope he's somewhere else um, playing on a legitimate contract and with an opportunity to get, you know, back at point guard minutes, whether that's a place like OKC or Minnesota or, you know, wherever else that might be. Um, you know, from a Hawks fan perspective, we'd love to see him in the organization because he's just helpful, you know, a really, really helpful guy. Um, but if, if we're kind of setting that aside briefly and kind of just rooting for him, you know, Hope he can find a better situation from a, you know, from a um, money he's making perspective and kind of growing his value proposition in the league in general. Maybe we could end with this hypothetical then, because that's I think what you said there was really interesting. If the Hawks have tendered a two-way to Mays and Cooper has signed on a two-way with Mays, uh, Cooper has signed a, a, a two-way deal. The Hawks have four, 14 players under contract, so they've got the one spot open. If they go into the season thinking, hey, and I'm going to botch the date here, you know, December or whatever, that they, they're going to make somebody a, a full-timer, and you go in, and it's Mays and it's Cooper, and you kind of go into it thinking, okay, we're going to bump one of these guys up to a full-time deal and then sign another two-way guy later. Uh, you know, who would get bumped up? Because, I mean, I think that 
Cooper is kind of a better fit in terms of, I think they want that position to be one who's a little bit more of a table setter, right. especially for a Kong Wu's development. Yeah. But Mays is more NBA ready. You know, he's going to sure. be more ready on defense. He's, you know, Cooper's, he's going to turn the ball over. I mean, he's really good and he's got a, fantastic future ahead of him this season but I think if you you know uh, I think he's you know he's going to kind of have I mean it took Trey a while all right he's a lot like Trey on offense he could do so many things but you know he's really going to turn the corner when I mean (laughs) Nate McMillan even said it on the broadcast I think you know he's just they can't turn the ball over as much and when he does that that's really going to be when he blossoms but I don't think that's going to be this season where with Mays, he's not going to be the table setter that Cooper is, but he's also not going to kill you with turnovers, which is so, so key for what Nate Millen wants to do. Right. Yeah, I think that's true. So, um, you know, I, to, to kind of restate, you know, Skyler is definitely helping to start the season on something better than a two-way, but that might just be where his, you know, best opportunity continues to be. Um, but in your hypothetical, you know, I, I would think they'd have to, you know, secure Mays, you know, um, for this year. I, I honestly don't think, I mean, Hawks fans might get mad at me, but I just know, I think Cooper has a couple of areas where he has so much progress to make. And I think he gets there, to be clear. I, I think he's before. made a lot of progress. Like, you look at his jump shot at Auburn compared to his jump shot yeah. this week, and it's like, okay, you know, he's done some stuff already. Like, it's it's yeah. already changed, like – it's it's you know, he still kind of drags his left foot a little bit. He, it's still very much a set shot, but like there was like the whole weird body arc thing, and that's gone. Right. Like yeah. he yeah. he's get he's got much better uh, balance on the shot than he used to have. Yeah, uh, but it's still a pretty slow release, which mm-hmm. is going to be an issue, yep. right, in a real NBA setting. And then defensively, I think there's still um, kind of a question in terms of you know how do they help you know him develop. Mm-hmm. Uh, a plan for how he's going to hold up at the point of attack and be right. useful on the ball. Mm-hmm. That's not to say I think he projects being a negative defender. Not at all. I think he's. No. I think he's going to be good. Like, yeah, you and know, he's so wondering. young. Like there just aren't a lot of good twenty-year-old NBA defenders. Yeah, and he's so competitive, and he's yep. you know, and he's so resourceful. Um, you know that that I trust him definitely to get there. But I, you know, in terms of what the Hawks want to accomplish this year, Mays would give them not only that depth of being able to kind of like we've talked about, throw him out at the two if you need to, if that's kind of where the gap is, or if Trey needs a, a second ball handler on the court, you know, and say Wright is injured for a week or two or whatever, you know, the Skyler, Skyler gives you that flexibility. He knows how to help Trey as the second ball handler. You know, he knows how to help Trey as the second creator. Sharif has been the point guard initiating, you know, his whole basketball life. Why would we expect him to know that right now, how to do that right now? And so that, that's where I would say that, you know, Skyler comes ahead of him. Um, but, you know, you know, Skyler was, I'm sorry, Sharif was the 48th pick. That's right on the brink of seeing a lot of guys go on a two-way deal versus getting a real, you know, contract of sorts, you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you know I, I'm not trying to like say that I think, the Hawks are doing anything differently than all the other teams are, but Sharif going on the two-way, there may be a commitment that as soon as the spot opens up, we're going to convert you, whether that's January, after the January 10 date, you know, where contracts guarantee and yeah. all that sort of stuff. So there could be some 
some soft commitment, you know, yep. in terms of if, if the plan works out like this and this and this, this is what we're going to do. Where Skyler probably doesn't have that, you know, right. because they've invested a draft pick in Sharif. And I mean, they, they drafted Skyler too, but in the same range and stuff like that. But, but it, I mean, there, there's a, another part of this too, in that in Atlanta, Sharif is incredibly marketable. And so I, I happen to think like, you know, when they have opportunity to throw him out in garbage time, I think that they're going to do that because people are going to buy Sharif jerseys because he's a popular in Atlanta, you know, and things like that. So there's, you know, that other angle as well. But to your point, Skyler helps them more this year. I think Sharif has a couple things that's going to hold him back from being a real contributor most of this year, maybe March, April, he's really, you know, come a long way and, and surprising me. Um, but I, but I think past this year, I'm all in on, you know, kind of Sharif's trajectory and what, what I think that what we think it could be. But while I, I think Skyler will be a guy who kind of will always be a helpful guy <laughs> to have on a team who needs just some good, you know, uh, combo guard depth, if that makes sense. Yeah. All right. Uh, we probably should have talked about Jalen Johnson more. So, you know, shout out Jalen <laughs> Johnson. Like he kind of did a little bit of everything and that's really, really exciting. Um, yeah. I don't we know talked what about it was, after game. But like, we talked we, about after game one, but all I was going to say was that he just kept doing everything he did in game one. Yeah. You know, he just kept, which is encouraging. He, he kept doing it. He sustained it. He made shots. He created, he passed, he defended, you know. Um, so I, I don't know there's much more analysis to do except say, what we said he did for game one, he did for four games. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the biggest thing is just uh, – and, again, I'm probably just repeating what I said after the game one, but it's just – it's really fascinating and refreshing. You know, you, you get a guy who thinks he's – should have been a lottery pick. He thinks he should have been a high lottery pick. I think they – somebody mentioned an interview – with him and he said, you know, I, I think I should have been the, the, the number one overall pick. Right. And I mean, certainly he has the, the physical tools and the pedigree, you know, to, to reasonably think that like, he's not even going 20, you're not that really, you're not that far from, uh, from the top, you know, you get that close and that's perfectly reasonable thing to say, I think. But you know, what I just think that is fascinating is that you have somebody with, with all of that physical talent, with the chip on his shoulder, because of where he got drafted. And it's almost like you're being too unselfish. Like he's just such a willing passer. And I'm, I don't know. I think that's just the most refreshing thing because the Hawks were a successful team. And, and you try to think about, you know, what, what's it going to take for, for a young kid with who's unbelievably gifted to come in and crack the rotation, uh, you know, being that kind of passer is just going to be, it's just going to unlock so many things for him um, because it just, it's going to make his transition so much more seamless that you, you don't wonder, well, okay, he's in this G league setting and he feels like he can dominate. So he goes out there and dominate. No, he did. It wasn't like that. It was like, he was this, he was just a basketball player and he's just out there in the flow. And if there's a right, you know, if there's a right read to make, he's making the right read. And you look at that and you say, man, that's just going to be an easy translation. Like you just, you could just see him doing the same sort of thing with Kevin Herter and John Collins, you know, just playing off of them. And, 
you know, if, if one of them makes a cut, if one of them gets open, the ball's going to end up in their hands in the right spot. And it's like, you, you know, you combine that and the fact that really he should grow into being a good defensive player and, you know, it's, it's not hard to see the path. It's really easy to see the path. Yeah, complete, completely agree. Um, and the, and you said it the, when we talked after game one, how the passing is the thing that really differentiates him from other guys who have been developed at the same position he plays. Um, I, I think he, people are like, oh, he's a power forward. I, I think he can play the forward position. And, you know, I think he'll spend more time at the four, um, you know, if we're talking about kind of that. But, but you know, I mean, since the Hawks started building around Trey, you know, one of the things that they've emphasized is when the opposing team takes their bigger wing or better wing defender yep. and puts them on Trey, they want to punish that cross match. And you've seen DeAndre Hunter going at point guards, you know, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot. I've I've written about that and posted, you know, some of that. And then when Hunter got hurt, it, they looked for opportunities for Collins to do that in the postseason. You know, um, and he was he was good in the post. But to to kind of the, hit home the point more, you know, he has a passing acumen that is natural and and is um, really good. Not just like oh, here's an obvious pass to a guy cutting right down the middle of paint. I mean, you you can tell when you watch him when he has his back to the play, to the rest of everybody else on the court. He catches the ball in the post. He is looking at the whole floor, yep. and you know, noticing where the defense is leaning and kind of where the a second defender might come from, or a stunt, or a digger might come from. And he's just mm-hmm. ready to, you know, counter that. Um, where Hunter is, you know. Uh, a helpful passer, but it's still kind of mechanical in the way that some of Hunter's game is still a little, a little bit in that way, a little right. deliberate, you know, with, with Jalen, it's like, bam, like as soon as he sees, you know, kind of a shooter open up on the backside, the ball's out of his hands. And that's just really different, you know, yep. and it's going to be interesting to, to see what that means for how much playing time he gets this year. I, you know, I, I think it's, it's after watching him play these four games, it's a lot more open that I thought before watching him play these four games in terms of how much he might be able to help the team this year, how much playing time he might be able to earn this year. There's a lot of bodies out there, but he just, like you keep saying, he gives them something different. As long as he can handle the defensive responsibility, you know, and and do the basic, you know, foundational baseline things to kind of get on the floor, he just gives them something different. And that might be something that we see, you know, the second half of the season, for example, him getting, the opportunity to help when a team is trapping Trey, you need somebody in the short roll or just somebody who kind of can flash to the nail and then turn and kind of, you know, read the floor and make a play. He's processing information faster than Hunter or Collins was at this point. Um, and it seems just more natural to him than it's ever seemed to Hunter or Collins in that one area you know, of his game. So that's fascinating to me. And it'll be, it'll be one of the most interesting parts of kind of watching how the Hawks manage this roster through this, this, this coming season, I think. Well, all right. Summer league's done. Uh, we get, we get a little bit of a respite here. Uh, time to, to process. I'm sure that the NBA will try to keep us hooked with things like uh, schedule releases and yeah. training camp rosters. And, Hawks know. playing on Christmas day, Kevin. They get, yeah. Prediction. Oh, are they going to play on Christmas day? <laughs> um no. no. I I think they're a year away. Okay. From that. 
I don't want to work on Christmas anyway, so <laughs> wouldn't be I'm, disappointed. I'm, I think they're one year off. I I think they have you know one more postseason running them, and 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 uh, and then next year, I think they'll get a Christmas game. I think they get a Christmas game this year. I think I think Trey. Right. I think Trey. Not if it were just kind of the team having one entry into the playoffs and having good progress, but since it was also Trey just kind of taking those series by storm and doing what he did. I, th- I think that marketability gets them. That's on true. Christmas day. I mean, but in part of it is that, that the Knicks will play on Christmas and well, they'll say, well, you know, who wants this crappy 1 PM Christmas slot? Well, it'll be the Knicks. Well, who can we put against the Knicks to make it interesting? And you know, the, that trade marketability could factor in. So yeah, maybe you're right. Merry yeah. Christmas, Glenn. Yeah, I know. No, I mean, I, I, I have mixed feelings about it because there are a lot of people that I care about that I, I want to see their Christmas not be uh, impacted by work. Yeah, you're on the West Coast, so I'm like, man, crappy 1 p.m. You're like crappy 10 a.m. No, that, that's the perfect time on Christmas. I'm oh, a, is I'm it? A morning, I'm a morning person. Okay. So. Well, I don't know. I, yeah, I guess. I, I, mean, I guess it depends what, what your, your Christmas Day schedule is like. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. but, I, but I, I do have a lot of empathy for people whose time with their families would be impacted and stuff like that. But I also understand the fan base really wants to see it happen. So I, I can hold both kind of emotions, you know, at the same time. And I think the sweet spot is Christmas day game fans are happy, but it's on the road. So all the people that I know would be impacted would be less impacted if they didn't have to go down to uh, you know state farm arena and be there in person and all that sort of stuff. And can cover it hopefully. Um, home and allocating less time to it so i'm i'm hoping in terms of rooting for everybody to be a little happy they get a christmas day game but it's on the road um, yeah i mean I, I i i have zero doubt that it will be a home they're, they're not getting a home game on christmas i'll tell you that. it'll be in <laughs> okay, new york that's fair. it's yeah. it's not going to be in atlanta glenn yeah new york or philly it'll be one of those two. something like that yeah let's stay yeah. away from atlanta and dallas on christmas i don't want that okay <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Glenn. I appreciate the time. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. Have a good night. You too.